Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. And they are very protective and territorial of what they've brought and how long they've been here. I don't think I was prepared for this. Eight of these ten people I know. I have been clean for 13 years. I don't want anyone feeling the way I felt growing up. Just all the time. If hundreds of refugees are coming, the mayor's gonna leave us holding the bag for this refugee thing in the wrong way. I am not against the little drowning children in the river, but do we really want them to be heroin addicts next week? I'm not broken, and a lot of us addicts are not broken. But I couldn't imagine packing up my family and leaving just to try to stay alive. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 414. Available now in the US on World Channel and PBS is For the Love of Rutland, a documentary that takes viewers to Rutland, Vermont, a New England city reeling from the opioid epidemic. When the city's progressive mayor agrees to take in refugees from Syria, the people of Rutland are divided over his decision, a division made deeper by the 2016 election. An intimate and heartbreaking exploration into small town America embattled by poverty and tribalism. For the love of Rutland, it's the latest film from director Jennifer Moitrena Taylor. Who joins me now on the podcast. Jennifer, I thank you so very much for your time today. Matthew, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. You know, it's really interesting. You know, I always talk to filmmakers, documentary filmmakers, especially. I think a lot of the times my impression of documentary filmmaking is that you have to hang on for the ride and just see where it takes you. And I think with your film, this is especially true because the the starting point for the film was in, you know, 2016, you have this small little town of Rutland really reeling economically and, and, and other factors as well. You have this mayor degrees to bring in uh, Syrian refugees. Um, at the time, people kind of forget not, not that long ago what we're seeing in Ukraine, a lot of the similarities was happening in Syria then as well a huge refugees crisis. He agrees to taking, uh, I think it was uh, not that many, like maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen refugees. Um, But then it just caused such a big division in in the community. What was it about that story that really spoke to you? Not only as a person, but as a filmmaker that thought, you know, this is something we need to get my camera on and try to capture at this time. 
Yeah. Well, well. First of all, Matthew, I <clears throat> I want to thank you for for um, obviously drawing this parallel between what was happening in Syria just a couple of years ago and what's happening now in Ukraine, um, and the same really horrific, horrific. Um, tactics that were being used against civilian populations. Um, what we're seeing now was happening in Syria and t still happening in other parts of the world. So um, I know um, to me, it's very important that we, you know, draw those parallels and make sure that we are aware that this, this is a situation that's affected so many countries, unfortunately, and so many populations. Mm. So with regard to you know, the specifics of, of the possible resettlement of Syrian refugees in the small town of Rutland, Vermont. I lived in Rutland myself um, as a kid. My family moved there uh, from Los Angeles back in the 70s when, um, you know, people were going back to the land. And uh, so we had lived in this small city of Rutland and then had moved out to the country outside of it. And And since we weren't from there, I always had this a little bit of an outsider sense that I was observing um, how life uh, took place there. It was very different from what we had grown up with in Los Angeles and, and where my own family is from. So I think I, I was always aware of, of something interesting about small town life um, that tells us something about who we are as a larger society. And so I had wanted to make a film in Rutland for quite some time, um, but I couldn't find a catalyst um, that would feel organic and sort of non-exploitative. There was a, a very serious opioid crisis in the town that you do mm. see in the film. Um, and a few years ago, I had thought that might be a way to start telling a story about the larger dynamics in the town, but but it but people were so fatigued with media coming in to to do a little bit sensationalist coverage of the opioid crisis that even though I still had family in the area, I, I felt too much like an outsider and that it wouldn't be fair and mm -hmm. and people just didn't want it. But when the refugee um, resettlement controversy erupted. That felt to me like, okay, that was maybe another story catalyst that would be a little bit less maybe painful for people. Um, I think I was proven wrong in some respect because it, it still sparked um, so much controversy and division and, and sort of ripped the Band-Aid off again on some wounds that have never healed. Um, the, the interesting thing about that time is that, you know, no one, could foresee Donald Trump winning the election. Yeah. I mean, polls, you know, election predictions, et cetera. And I'm sure, you know, yourself as a filmmaker as well, you would never imagine uh, that he would win. And from that win, there will be these trickle of ramifications that would have affected what you were doing there as a filmmaker. Essentially, this immigration ban comes in, the Syrian refugees. I think there was only about three families who came in before there was a halt to that. So That's once, right. once that happens... Um, and you're, you, you, you're there with your crew, you're already invested in your filmmaking. What type of talks do you have? Do you say to yourself, are we going to pack up and go? Are we going to stay? I mean, how, what type of discussions do you have at that time? Well, well, the good thing is in this case, Matthew, the crew was me um, and one other person. Um, I decided because this film felt so intimate and because I actually didn't want to have a big crew for several reasons. One was just having um, that kind of footprint in the town where we were, all, where it would be very conspicuous. Um, I didn't want to do that. And I also wanted to just let time unfold without feeling like I had the meter running, you know, on a, on a crew that, you know, understandably a, a professional film crew is, is, you know, expensive. So I actually shot the film almost entirely myself. Mm. And since my mother still lives in the 
solar farmhouse that we built back in the you know 70s um, in the country outside of, of the town, um, I just basically stayed with her. And I could stay for weeks on end when, when my time permitted, usually in the summer, um, and uh, do the filming myself. So uh, I, I had one collaborator who was a local journalist um, who writes for the uh, local newspaper and who actually before anybody else saw in the summer of 2016 that some of the rhetoric coming into the town and on social media seemed to map a national rhetoric that ultimately did coalesce with the election of, of the former president. Um, so, so my collaborator, Jim Sabatasso, uh, this local journalist, was very prescient because he started seeing that the, the kind of increase almost in very nasty talk that was happening between people at the local level was being influenced by outside actors. Mm. So so he picked up on this kind of hate speech, particularly, that was being directed uh, against the completely unknown Syrian refugees who might be coming to the town. Um, it was very Islamophobic. Um, he picked up on that very quickly and, and saw a pattern. And so I asked him if he'd work with me because he, he seemed obviously such an, a good observer. So it was basically Jim and I uh, filming. So when the story took the inevitable turns that documentaries take, where you just have no control over what's happening and you don't know what's going to happen, mm -hmm. in some respect, it was easier to stay with it because it was just a question of me being able to get some time and a plane ticket to go visit my mother and do some filming. It's um, interesting looking back, I imagine at that time filming and, and watching the documentary and for myself, when I, when I look at, when I look at your, your film, it kind of is, sets an example of kind of like a micro, micro, microcosm of, of what was happening in America at that time, especially yeah. in regards to the division of tribalism. And it's, yeah. it's interesting because there's names to the tribes, essentially, What in, in your movie. You have the Rutland Welcomes people who were war for the Syrian um, refugee settlement, and then you have Rutland First, who were against it and were more kind of pro-Trump and stuff. We, as you're watching this happen um, in front of you, could you, uh, you're talking about your collaborator, the journalist was working with you, could you also sense that kind of like that those kind of divisions bubbling and could you also kind of feel that maybe that was going to spill over into like a, a federal election uh, consequences as well? You know, I have to be honest with you that I was, I think, still like many people, um, pretty surprised by the election results. Um, and I, I think I failed to see how deeply... Um, some of the anti-refugee sentiments were going to be translating into, you know, what happened eventually in the federal election. Mm. I, I, I actually think I was um, maybe saw it, but also couldn't believe that people would, would really want to want to stick to that, um, want to stick to such harshness about other humans. Um, so I guess I was a little bit naive, but, but one thing that was really important, um, for the story, Matthew, was that it not just be Rutland First versus Rutland Welcomes. And part of my, you know, sort of critique of of what we do very broadly in mass media is this kind of binary storytelling where you've got the right and the left, or, you know, in the US, we use a lot of the construct of red for the Republicans and blue for the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that nearly comes close to encapsulating actually how complicated people's feelings are, and particularly that there may be more room for middle ground mm -hmm. or compromise or a different way of looking at things than what our system and the binary story allows. And so that's why it, 
it meant everything to me that we find a person like Stacy, who who was not involved in either Rutland Welcomes or Rutland First, and and wouldn't be because she was, frankly, too poor for either side to consider her a viable participant mm. in it's, the civic conversation. Yeah, it's such an interesting point, and Stacy really becomes the central figure of, of the documentary and by the by the conclu- um, documentary's conclusion. I mean, I I have so much ad- admiration for Stacy in the, in the fact that here is a person that's really struggling. She's struggling with her sobriety. She's struggling to provide for her family. Um, however, she continuously tries to find a way to stay above above it and tries to do it with a, a, a sense of real kind of like um, um, trying to find a word for it. It's kind of like a sense of, of pride on her part. Yeah. She really wants to be involved. She, and, that, and by the end of the film, she really presents herself as kind of like, or is really seen as kind of like a, a leader in, in many aspects. Yes. She is involved in the community, et cetera. How did you find Stacey? From, from what I understand, is it true that there's some con- connections in that um, you have like an, an aunt or or a, or, a, or a cousin or something and with the sky school with her? Is that how you kind of like came about uh, oh, finding Stacey? Actually, no. Um, I, I Well, funny enough, you know, this is such a small community. Um, and even though I haven't lived there in 35 years, um, there's still connections. Jim, the, my collaborator, his older brother and I went to elementary school together. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody just knows everybody. Stacy, I actually did not know her. But as it turned out, eventually, once we got to know each other, my mother used to teach um, at an adult education nonprofit and one of my mother's best friends was Stacy's mentor um, where Stacy went and got her high school degree the, something we found out after we first met though um, Stacy actually approached me I was doing some research filming in the little park outside her house that becomes you know sort of the site of a lot of activity and she approached me when I was filming a research interview with a local nonprofit um, leader and basically I think just wanted to know what we were doing um, and struck up a conversation. Um, and this was during the summer when everything was of 2016, when everything was, was getting already very polarized and, and kind of nasty actually in the town, mm. um, you know, with the two sides really fighting each other. And she said, you know, I don't know how I feel yet. I, I don't really know if I understand or, um, support the idea that that we can have Syrian refugees come when everyone in our town is so many people are struggling, but I'm open to learning about it. And that's magic words to anybody who's a documentary filmmaker or a teacher, which I also am, where, where somebody says, I'm open and I'd like to learn. That That's the, that's the best thing you can hear if, if you're trying to make a film about, you know, questions and controversy. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, 
Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. I think another thing that Stacey's story really represents is the insidious nature of poverty. Um, yes. No matter how many times she really tries to pull herself above kind of like the debts and everything else and trying to find work, it just seems like another wave kind of that drags around her again. I think it's really important that people see that because unfortunately I think people have perceptions of what poverty is and how people get there and how to and why why can't they just dig themselves out? It's not as easy as that, is it? No, no. And that's exactly, Matthew. That was really ultimately the heart of what the story was for me is what is it like to be vulnerable? What is it like to be marginalized? What is it like, you know, to be in Stacey's um, situation where you're in a small town where people know each other and, and in many ways take care of each other, but you're still kind of the outsider. And, you know, there's not a lot of, um, you know, racial or ethnic diversity in that area. Um, it's a very white community. And that was also part of the story was how to, you know, look at how a majority white community is dealing with with change. And I think what happens is that, you know, the human um, and societal urge to create hierarchy, if you have a, a majority white community, you'll still find someone to pick on, um, you know, it can, you know, in the in the same way, often that majority white communities will really marginalize, you know, folks of color. In this community, there's also this very strong you know, class component of, of people who are, you know, poor, they're called um, dirt bags. Mm. And, you know, it's a, it's a kind of othering, you know, that, that unfortunately human society seems to do. And in a certain sense, you know, ultimately what you see in the film is that the Stacy connects, I think her own sense of how she's been displaced and kind of insulted and labeled with, uh, you know, to a certain extent with people who are, who have been labeled refugees who are just as, complex and and rich as individuals um and full humans as as she is you know um so so a big part of the story for me was wanting to find somebody who wasn't easily identified on either ideological side who hadn't taken a stance and also who wasn't part of the middle class that that tend to be the ones who really show up and speak out at, at meetings and community events, but but rather someone who's felt like I, she's not allowed to have a place, even though this town is minuscule. Um, it's very interesting in that even though the upcoming, the presence of the refugees in, in both as kind of like this speculation as to who they are and what they will do to the community and then when they get there you know of course nothing changes because people a lot of times the people's fears is going to take over them and the reality of the situation is that it's just people who just want to live somewhere safe and raise their kids and work etc however they don't appear on the camera what was the decision behind that 
Well, a lot of it was respecting what they wanted to do. Um, you know, as if for anyone who gets to see the film, you know, ultimately only three families were um, allowed to make it to the town before the former president and his administration, you know, imposed a travel ban. Um, on people fleeing Syria and other majority Muslim countries. And just as an aside, Matthew, I, I happen to be actually going to Jordan um, on the very day that that um, travel ban was put into place. Mm. And um, Jim and I went with a local a radio reporter from Rutland, um, to uh, to Jordan to film with Syrian refugees, and we we thought we would incorporate some of the material we filmed there into the film, and then ultimately did not because it felt too uh, much of an aside, um, unfortunately. Um, so so we we didn't film with with the three families um, primarily because people they just wanted to be left alone, and understandably were coming in with such deep trauma. Um, the last thing that they you know, needed was was a camera. Um, and, and the truth is also, I think, because the situation was so fraught in the town, um, it was better to just kind of give people their space. That said, I, I met all the families and you see very, very briefly one of the moms with her kids in the park with Stacy. And, and that's a woman who, uh, with her husband, did become very friendly with Stacy and you know they've they've done a few things together um, socially uh, through through their mutual friend Alicia, um, and and you can see I don't show anyone's face. You know I, I really tried to just keep it um, subtle and give them room. I will say all the three families that have arrived there are doing very 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 well, Excellent. and of course nothing nothing really changed in the town. I mean you know they didn't save the town, they didn't condemn the town. You know it was neither of these extreme visions you know for oops sorry I'll, I'll just say yeah the three families are doing very well and n none of them you know their presence just was like anyone else moves to a town you know it it, it 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 didn't have the impact i think that either side anticipated no and it usually doesn't at all i mean myself coming from an immigrant family i can i can attest to the fact that it's just a it comes down to the thing of all people want to do is just be able to live and work and, and raise their families. And I think that's what it comes down to a lot of people. And it's just, it's really sad still that we get the kind of like perceptions uh, to overtake the realities, but it's a, it's a thing that's continuously going to happen. I, uh, I think that's right. And I, I do just, sorry, I just, I do want to just say, I think that's part of what's important and it's going to happen again, you know, obviously with, with now millions more refugees being created by the situation in Ukraine is that, it, you know, if people in, in host communities maybe should should kind of back off the rhetoric on, mm. on either side and just recognize these are these are people who are going to be coming in very traumatized, very hurt, and they just need to be treated like humans. And, you know, their first impulse is not going to be, hey, I'm trying to change the culture of your town. It's I'm trying to keep myself and my family safe. Exactly. Um, I wanted to just ask, you know, you having lived for a, a bit of time in Rutland, you went to high school there, you have family there. I think your mum still lives there. Um, what, you know, from what you remember of your time in Rutland prior to doing the documentary up to doing the documentary, is there, what major differences did you see when you came back to Rutland to do the documentary? And what did you learn about that town that you had no idea about um, while you were there? Oh, that's a really, really good question. So, so we moved there when I was in elementary school um, you know, as I mentioned, my family's from Los Angeles. My dad actually, his part of his family's from Mexico. So we also, 
you know, had a, you know, just a, we have a different background than a lot of the folks from the town. Mm. Um, and, you know, of course, I've always gone back and forth and visited. I mean, I, I moved back to California now when I was 19. Um, and we always, you know, our family's all still here in California. Um, so, um, so I had gone back and forth, of course, to visit. Um, but my dad died about eight years ago. And it was just awful. And he died there in Rutland. And we, I was there for an extended period of time. Um, after that happened. And it was, I think, when the opioid crisis really was just coming to a really terrible, you know, peak. Mm. And I was really shocked, actually. I hadn't, I, I'd known, you know, from having moved there as a kid that, you know, there, there's always been some substance abuse. There was a lot of alcoholism. Um, there was some pretty rough behavior <laughs> that I would be witness to um, going to high school there. Um, you know, just, again, people... A lot of people just didn't have a lot of resources, um, but 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 not to the extent of what the opioids did to people. That that was that really hit me, um, and and you know again I think kind of made me made me resolve to if if there were a way to make a film about the town to do it in a way that would respect that people love their community and want their community to be okay. And that there's thousands and thousands of communities just like this that are completely anonymous, mm. but that mean the world to the people who live there. Yeah. But at the same time, if we gloss over and pretend, you know, I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the US, we've got this very, you know, I think silly tendency to really romanticize small towns mm -hmm. um, or vilify them. And, you know, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And I just, I wanted to be able to kind of capture the gravity of what I saw happening there with the opioid crisis and with the extreme, extreme, extreme poverty that a lot of people are living in um, and capture that in a way that wouldn't turn it into poverty porn or dehumanize the people who are in those situations. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I guess I just felt like things were were more more serious there than than maybe I had realized um, as a child. Well, it's a fascinating documentary, and I think you really did a great job really getting to the crux of a lot of situations there and presenting them on screen. And for everyone out there listening right now, available on World Channel and PBS in the US, it's For the Love of Rutland. I really recommend people check this documentary out. I think it talks about important things in its frame in a very important way, and the filmmaking here is really good considering it's just yourself and some help here and there. And um, it's a really important documentary, and I really congratulate you, and uh, I thank you so very much for your time today. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much.